above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It means every good thing comes from God. And there Jimmy Stewart said, of course, this is, this is just a fictional story, but it's true for families all over this country and forever, sitting there with his beautiful sons and daughters and telling God, I'm thankful, but I'm having to do all this on my own. Thank you, just the same, amen. And yet, he did not create those children. He did not create the seeds that he plants in his farm and produces all this harvest. He didn't do any of those things. All those things God had to do before this farmer would have anything. All good and perfect things come from God. And we should be thankful for each one. How much do we have to be thankful for? When I look at my family, I'm thankful every day. How wonderful to be a grandparent. When that preacher say, if I knew how great grandchildren were, that's the only kind I would have. Doesn't work that way. But look at the blessings that we have and sometimes take for granted. Another passage, Luke 17, 11 through 19. I have to watch my time, I'm afraid. We know, we're familiar with this passage. And it begins in verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise up and go. Your faith has made you well. And every time, as a boy in a church, maybe the Pine Tree family, this passage was read, I related myself to the one who came back and said, Thank you, Lord, for healing me, and not to the nine who did not come back. And then as I've gotten older, I began to realize I have much more in common with those nine who did not come back than I have with that one who did. And I know that. I'm working on that. Because how many times do we say, Lord, bless us in our business, give our children a safe trip, watch over us when the storms come through, help me get through this problem, dear Lord, help me each day. And then when he does, we say, you know, I handle that pretty well. I'm doing pretty good here. Or just that I forget to immediately say, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And sometimes I'll wake up a day or two later and I will have remembered a prayer that I, you know, in sincere earnest prayed and whatever I asked came to pass. And it take me two days to turn around and say, Lord, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Who was I like? Was I like that one that I always wanted to relate myself to? That one leper who came back? No. No, I was much more like the nine who did not come back and say thank you. Notice in that passage, they were not healed right in front of, of Jesus. They were healed on their way. I don't know how far they went, but maybe they went a mile away. And before they got to the priest, all of a sudden, they were healed of this horrible disease. 
They celebrated. They ate. They could be among people. They were happy. They went to see their mother. But only one went back to see Jesus. But I'm afraid that's probably what I would have done. I would have been celebrating. And I have to think. I have so much to be thankful for. No matter what the problems in life. We have problems. We see hard times. But so much to be thankful for. And I forget. One more passage I want to share. And this one, if you're reading your Bibles in the the schedule that we're doing this year, you came across this passage recently. And when I did, I'd never noticed it. But I always thought when David got into the trouble that David got into, and he seemed to get in a lot of trouble, I would not want to have lived David's life. My heart would have been broken till the day I died. Because for one, I would have lost two sons because of my sin. And would have carried that to my grave. So I, I would not want to be King David and deal with what he dealt with. But I noticed something that I'd never seen before in the scripture. And I'll read just a part of that. Because one thing is names. I'm not too good at these names. So David had some mighty men. Some of them said they were so forceful that they were equal to 100 or maybe 300 men. And then he lists his 30 mighty men. Now in that day, they would have been famous. And the Bible says they were famous. That all the people knew of these great warriors. And so he, he gives a list. I mean, the Bible gives a list. And uh, it says, verse 24, I don't think I've mentioned the chapter it's from. But it says, among the 30 were Azahel, the brother of Joab, Elhanan, the son of Dodo. Boy, that's an interesting name. And his dad, too. From Bethlehem, Shammah, the Herodite, Elikai, the Herodite, Helez, the Paltite, Ira, the son of Achish from Tekoa. That sounds like somewhere in Oklahoma. Ira, we're going to skip a bunch of these. Ira, the Ithrite, Gerib, the Ithrite, and the last one mentioned, Uriah, the Hittite. David knew all these men well. These were his right-hand men. If he goes in the battle, this is who I want. I want these 30 guys lined up beside me. Now, David was ferocious. But these 30 men were David's compatriots, and they were ferocious. And he knew every one of them. What do we know about Uriah the Hittite? Husband of Bathsheba. The woman that David took and created this great sin with her. But when he did that, he knew who this person was. And I thought, in this lesson, had he appreciated these men who would lay down their life for David at a moment's notice, and would fight with him and beside him and love them and were thankful for them. That one thing would have stopped him from doing what he did that cost him at least two sons if he was just thankful. I think in our life, sometimes if we were thankful for what God gave us every day, the same would be true for us is that we would hesitate from some of the things that we do, and it would guard our soul and our lives and even our family. Now I'm going to show you a picture of a little bit of my family, and there's a reason for this. I love showing pictures of my family, as some of you know already. These are some very important people to me. My dad, as most of you know, passed away this year in January. But this picture was taken 10 years ago, maybe a little longer than that. And we're all sitting there and enjoying a beautiful fall day and working together. What a blessing. What a great blessing. 
And, and I probably counted my blessings because I took time to be sure someone, and I'm not sure who it was who was there to take the picture, or I might have set it up on tripod because sometimes I'll do that. I'm going to capture this moment because I got my sons and my dad and myself on this great day. And it was. But that, gray, all, that day almost did not happen. And that's what I want to tell you about. And that's when I learned a lesson about gratitude. And I hope I can get through this. I intend to. But it's never easy for me when I tell this story. Some of you in the seniors class have heard this story. The next picture shows what should have happened. And then after seeing that, we'll go to, well, back it up to a more pleasant picture of the guys. All right, Jerry? And I'll tell you my story. Um, A few years, maybe two or three years before that picture here, Sloan and I went out on a job, and it was over in Marshall, and we had to dig some holes. And the guy, it was a sign job. Obviously, I've been in the sign business a long time. Those of you who know me. But this guy wanted massive poles to hold up a sign and look big and bulky, which meant we had to dig very large holes. So we took a tractor. That was a good plan. And the guy had had some construction work, and he said, because we always worry about where we're going to dig, where we're going to dig up. He said, no, I've had all that cleared. I've had everything marked. There's nothing there. You dig right here. And then he left. And we got over there late in the day. It took us a while. Someone got out of school. And uh, so he must have been maybe still a senior in high school at that point, or he could have been in college. don't remember. By the time we got there, everybody was leaving. This yard is a big trucking yard. It was an oil field service company. It had a bunch of big trucks, and they had a big gravel, the front drive and parking lot, and that went through a fence, and all the trucks were back there, and it, it was kind of late in the day. So we were about to be the only ones there, and I knew where to dig. So I had Sloan on the tractor. Sloan, you remember this. And he backed the tractor up to the hole that I was supposed to dig, Digging through gravel with a steel auger, so we can consider the sparks we're about to make. And just as we started to dig the hole, this last truck of the day, big truck, oilfield truck, came in, 18-wheeler. And the guy didn't go on into the yard. He stopped right where we were, jumped out of the truck, ran over, and said, don't dig right there. And I'm like, this is nuts. Why? You're, I said, your boss said everything's good. Dig here. Put some. I said, I don't care what the boss said. You don't want to dig right there. He said, I know a couple years ago they put in a gas well, and you can see it about a quarter of a mile on top of that hill, and they put a line right through here. I saw them put it in here. Don't dig right there. And I thought, okay, I mean, the fact they put that gas line, this guy is kind of crazy. Why would he say that? That Like he knew exactly where we were not to dig. But still, you take things like that seriously. So I said, okay, I will dig it by hand. Got out my... My Ph.D., that's my education, my post-hole diggers. <laughs> I have two Ph.D.s. And no, no other degrees of significance. And I started digging that hole by hand. I went six inches into the gas pipeline. And I mean six inches, which is really strange. But they had graded that lot down. They had lowered the parking lot. They had taken some dirt off, and I went six inches and hit a gas pipeline as dead on as I could hit it. And it was a fiberglass line about two inches in diameter. They do that sometimes. Nothing for a tractor to rip that out of the ground in those sparks and in that gravel. And I said, oh, my goodness. So I dug the other hole by hand. I moved that hole over. First, I know where that pipeline is. Let's move over. And I dug both holes by hand.
And I was not terribly happy with the owner who told me where to dig those holes. But Sloan and I lived to work another day and, and left. And I was thankful. I was thankful. And I came home and I told Sharon, I said, you know, this crazy thing happened. This guy stopped us. I do not know where Sloan, that guy went. I don't remember seeing him. Maybe he left. I'm sure he had to. But he didn't say anything else. He said that one thing, parked his truck and disappeared. And we found the pipeline. And I, was, I felt blessed and I felt lucky. And I was happy we were okay. And that's about all I said about him. I told a couple of people, went to bed that night and went to sleep. Kind of forgot about it, but I probably talked about it a time or two later. Late, later talk, talked about it a time or two. And every time I thought about it, I thought, how fortunate and also how lucky that guy showed up. But in my mind was not right. And then a few years after that, about the time this picture was taken, probably, so somewhere along that time frame, one night I went to sleep. And, and I sleep sound. My, my wife gets irritated at me because she can lay down and take her half an hour, an hour, go sleep, boy, I'm gone. And so I laid down and went sound asleep, and I had a dream. Now, I'm not a big believer in dreams that someone's, you know, I, that's not generally what happens to me, but I had a dream. And in that dream, this happened all over again, just exactly like it happened, step by step, part, set the tractor. I'm standing at the back of the tractor trying to guard, guiding the fact that that auger goes down straight, Sloan's on the tractor. The guy, just as the second we start to go down, jumps out of the truck, don't dig there, same exact thing. And then I woke up, just that suddenly. I woke up and I knew why I dreamed that dream. It was obvious. And uh, it was, there is not a chance in the world that this guy out of the clear blue sky shows up and like he's Superman with x-ray vision and says, you don't want to dig right there. That was not by chance. And I had not really got on my knees and been thankful like I should have been. And I knew it. And I was guilty. And brother, it did not take me long to do it. The Lord said, Rick, you had the wrong attitude on this. I saved your life and your son's life. And you said you were lucky. How dumb was that? And, and then that was when in my life I learned, Rick, you need to be more grateful. And you need to start giving credit where credit is due and quit saying the dumb things you say. And it was awfully dumb for me to say. How lucky or even how blessed. No, I need to say the Lord saved our life and sent a truck driver with x-ray vision by and said, do not dig right there. There is no other explanation. And to be so stupid as to not to see it, still kind of mind-boggling. Because the more I thought back through it, I said, that is not right. The timing? How could you even time a truck coming through the East Texas oil field to show up in Marshall at that second? Let alone a guy with x-ray vision in that spot. And I'm like, that did not happen. And yet, I did not tell everybody. And today, I am undoing that sin of saying, well, how fortunate we were. No, how God saved our life. And so I have undone that sin more than once. But we don't always have that thankful attitude. And the next thing I would like to show you, well, let me read one scripture. Because this is the whole point. 
In Psalms 50:23 it says, "But giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me." This is God speaking. If you keep to my path, I will reveal to you the salvation of God. Giving thanks is a sacrifice that truly honors me. And that strikes home in my heart. But more than any gift of life or children or wife or business or anything we know as Christians, what we're to be thankful for. But we forget that sometimes too. Even when we do the Lord's Supper, we have to force ourselves to think. What is this about? What does this really mean? What did Jesus do for me? I have a little video. It's actually about three and a half minutes long. We're not playing the whole thing. And it's set to music. But when I want to think about what's really important, no matter what my troubles are, my struggles, my frustrations, and in the last year or two, we've had a few. Sometimes I will sit at my desk and I'll play this video. Now, I cannot do it without tears. And so I'm not going to watch it. I'm going to let you watch it because I can't do it. But it does something for me. And it says, Rick, this is important. This is all that's important, but this is important. So, Jerry, go ahead and play that, but I will not watch. Sorry. See, why can I watch that? Without a tear or two or ten or a hundred. And uh, well, first time I saw that, it, it was so well done. And the whole video, if you want to look it up, I've mentioned it before. It's done by a group called Sela, the, the music part. And you can look up Sela. Oh, what's the name of the song? Went, um, raise me up. Sela, raise me up. Thank you. You can look that up on YouTube and watch the whole thing. It is great. But when I saw that part of Mary coming to Jesus' side. Now, we don't know that that happened in that way. But for some reason for me, because one thing, I have a great mom. But when I saw that part, that did something to me. And so when I need an attitude adjustment... That's an easy one. And I say, Rick, what do you have to be thankful for? A lot. That's why we're here. 
That's why we're Christians. That's what made us saved by the grace of God. That was not a small thing. And yet we sometimes have to force ourselves to think about it, but that is everything. That is everything what was done that day. I don't want to forget that. I do not want to ever forget that. And if if that was all I had to be thankful for, that's enough. That's enough. He paid that price. One more minute. I'm watching that clock closely. We're going to have an invitation song, and we're going to use a song we normally use for communion. But one time when we were singing that, I listened to the words a little closer than normal. And it's that song, How Deep a Father's Love, written by a guy named Stuart Townend. He's a British guy has written many beautiful songs. In Christ Alone, Power of the Cross, Beautiful Savior, and this one, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And in that song it says, How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his, holy, his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing lost, the father turns his face away. As wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Behold the man upon a cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed I hear the mocking voice call out among, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. But then it says, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And when I heard those words, it says that it was my sin that held him there. I had never thought about it that way. It was my sin that held him there. I always thought, yes, my sin was covered by the blood of Christ... And it took just one drop of blood. Because, that, I mean, the, the blood of Christ is that powerful. It is one drop of blood, and I'm sure that covered my sin. No. He had to die on that cross. It wasn't just the fact that he shed his blood, as we think about in the communion. He had to finish it. He had to die for my sin. And that puts things in perspective. To me, that song is the best invitation song that we can have. And today, if your life and your heart and your walk with God is not right, and you have forgotten what God has done for you, or you have any need, won't you come as we stand and sing?